Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today, we are hearing from God's Word with this Sunday's sermon. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Well, happy Easter, everybody. I uh, hope you're having a good day so far. So I'd like to start this morning uh, by telling you about my friend, Ben. Ben is a friend of mine from uni. Uh, he has enough personality to be two people. Let's put it like that. When Ben enters the room, you know he's there. Uh, he's a, he's a, a wonderful, wonderful person. There's a lot of fun to be around. And there are lots of different characteristics that uh, those who know Ben know about him. And one of those things is he can absolutely devour whatever you put in front of him. Now, when we were at uni, we used to go to KFC and get the biggest party bucket and watch him just devour his way through what seems like multiple chickens. And so Ben's ability to, to, to destroy KFC was kind of known among us. Now, last summer, having finished uni a year ago, I saw Ben again. And he said to me, so I had some, some tests for allergies and intolerances. Turns out I've got a chicken intolerance. And we were all kind of like, oh my goodness, Ben is the one who can't eat chicken. And, he, and we said, but you used to eat so much. How come you didn't get effective? And he said, well, the thing is, I felt awful all the time. I just thought that was normal. It's only when I stopped that I realized something was wrong. Again, Anna's friend, Sarah, couldn't see really anything in focus until she was around 10. And then she got glasses and suddenly realized, can people normally see this clearly? She didn't know there was a problem until she saw what it was like fixed. Now, the strange thing for us as humans is that we look around and we see a world that is broken. We see a world that has something wrong with it, that it doesn't all quite fit together. But the thing is, we've never seen it any other way than the way it is now. So what makes us think that this is broken? There's this sense in us, this isn't how it's supposed to be, this what some people have called the, the God whole, the, the sense that there is more, we're meant for more. I don't know what it looks like, I can't quite imagine it, but this world isn't as it is. C.S. Lewis said that we're like fish that are constantly questioning the wetness of water. It's all we know, and yet we go, there's just it's something right, not right, I can't put my finger on it. And I think this is most concentrated, this sense of things not being right, when we experience death. Death seems to be the focal point of all the world's brokenness. I remember when I was 18, sat in the room, my brother had, had died only an hour ago, and I was holding his hand, and I remember thinking, this is so weird. He's here, but he's not here. It doesn't look like he's sleeping. He, he isn't there. I remember just sat there thinking, there's something not right about this. Which is strange because for many of us, we think of death as just a fact of life. But it's not. It's, uh, it's it, it doesn't feel right. It seems to show us that the world is broken. Now, at Easter, we think about Jesus' death and, and what that means for us. And I'd like to just for a moment think about how the disciples were feeling. We might think that they were feeling sad, they were mourning, 
Uh, they were missing their friend. But I actually think there's more to it than that. Let's, let's step in their shoes for a moment. Let's get into their headspace and think through how they were thinking. Because these were Jews who knew their Bible well. And what the Bible tells us about death is that death comes into the world because sin comes into the world. It's not part of creation as it's supposed to be. In Genesis, we read about Adam and Eve, who in the garden are representing all humanity. What they do affects all of us. And God gives a command to them and says, if you break this command, you will die. And so they, but they do sin. They break the command. They distance themselves from the source of all life. And so what do you get if you leave the source of all life? You get death. And so this corruption starts to come into all creation. Everything starts to untangle. And the thing we see most clearly, that the way we see this most clearly, is that people start dying. As you move on from Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve sin, you, you're given a list of names, and it says this person fathered this person, and it says, and he died. On the next person, and he died. It's supposed, to, uh, it's supposed to be stark. It's supposed to shock you as you go, hang on a second, it was all so well a few chapters ago, and now everyone is dying. Creation is being untangled. But then the hope of the Bible, the, the thing that keeps being put forward is that maybe God is going to set it right. And so now we're looking for God to send a savior, a, a righteous person who is like us, but doesn't share in our imperfection. The one who can come in and restore God's kingdom, who can wipe away evil. The one who can start to unmake the things that went wrong. He can tear down oppression, like empires that people build to oppress people. That's what we're looking for. Now, a group of people 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away from here, thought they had found this person, this savior that God was sending in to, to remake God's good creation, to get rid of all the evil that was in it, to defeat even death. And they traveled around with him and they staked their careers and their reputation on him. But then he was handed over to the authorities and he died a sinner's death. They weren't merely sad that they'd lost their friend. They thought that they had been sold a lie. This man was a fraud. We thought he was the righteous one. And now he's dead. Turns out he was a sinner all along. Bear that in mind. Death means sin. Over every grave is the statement, here lies a sinner. Now that statement therefore puts us all in the same boat because all of us die. The fact that we know that no one can work their way to God is because everyone who has tried has died. Just as in a courtroom, the, the judge may say guilty, the verdict is laid, and then there's a journey before they actually end up in prison with the bars closed. In the same way, all of us have been called guilty and are on our way to the bars being closed with death. Death is the great tyrant that stands over us. There is a one-to-one -one death rate. That's how we know we're all in the same boat. And it seems like 
Jesus is one of us too. He's died. He's got that sentence of sinner over him. That's how the disciples are thinking. This man was a fraud and we followed him. But then, but then a few days later, something happens. Something big happens. And now they have to go back and think through what they were thinking because the one who was dead now is no longer dead. The grave that held him, the prison bars that were over him, the statement that says, here lies a sinner, have now been taken away. And so the question for us, as we uh, look at the, the Bible and places like Acts, what has changed to make these people who are scared, frightened, and think they've been sold a lie, now bold and proclaiming this message that this man has been raised from the dead? What has changed is that they realized he wasn't going to stay dead. His death was not his death. Peter says this in Acts 2, the same Peter who we just heard about in the kid's story who was scared and denied Jesus. In Acts 2, he says this, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Think about that last line. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Why? Because death had no right to keep its hold on him because he was righteous. He was not a sinner. His resurrection is God's proof to the world. He was not a fraud. His resurrection proves to us that everything he said and did was true. He was not a fraud. He was what he claimed to be. He was indeed the one that God has sent into the world to now remove the damaging effects of sin. He was the one that God had sent in. Death had no right to hold him. Just as a man who has been innocently condemned, if he sits in prison, we would say the prison has no right to hold him because he was innocent. And so that means we have to then go back and think through Jesus' death differently. Okay, so if it wasn't, if he was righteous, if he wasn't a sinner, and yet he had a sinner's punishment, what does that tell us? It tells us that the death he died was not his death to die. He died in the place of other people. He died as a substitute for other people. He died because other people sin and other people need to die. Jesus is in our place as he dies. It also means that God planned it and God was doing something through it. We read in verse 23 in Acts 2, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. This was God's intention 
And because God planned it, because God sent Jesus to the cross and Jesus willingly went, that's how we know it was not for him. It was for other people. The resurrection of Christ means we have to go back and look at that death all over again. And when we come back and we look at that death, what we find is he was doing something through it and it wasn't for him. He is dying so that other people may be forgiven. Because the judge has given the sentence. The judge has said they must die. That sentence must be carried out. But none of us can take that sentence. None of us can take it and live. None of us can take it and yet be made right with God. There's a phrase, let justice prevail even if the world is destroyed. It's kind of an ironic quote to say, do we really want justice? Because if we really had justice in the world, everything would be destroyed. There would be no people left. But the Bible's reply is, let justice prevail and the world be saved because justice has come on Jesus in our place. And so what that means is we now can be forgiven and brought into relationship with God because the sentence that should have been on me, that should have been on you, was on him. We can be forgiven. We can have peace with God. We can come before him with nothing on our account because Jesus took it for us. But then the question that may arise in our mind is this. Well, if uh, Jesus has forgiven our sins, if we can believe in him and be saved from our sentence, that's all well and good. But I know plenty of people who are Christians and yet they still die. That statement, here lies a sinner, still is over them. This is what the Bible tells us. If you have been forgiven by Christ, you will not stay dead. Death had no right to hold him. It had to loosen its grip on him because it was not, he was not it. And as Jesus goes into death, he is going into death to defeat death. The death of death happens in the death of Christ. And we who believe in him will be raised from death. What a wonderful truth. Romans 6 tells us this. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. For we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Christ. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. If you are a believer, that is the hope that you're given. Death will have no power over you because the death you should have died, Christ died in your place. Even as you lie in the grave, you're lying there as someone sleeping. 
See, when you go to sleep, you go in knowing that you're not going to stay there. You might set an alarm. You might put your clothes out for the next day. The attitude is, I get into bed knowing I'm not going to be staying in bed. In the same way, if you believe in Christ, if you say, I have been forgiven, then you go into the grave knowing these prison bars will not stay closed. If you don't yet believe in Christ, that is the offer to you. If you believe in him, past, present, future, all of your sins were put on him. And you will be raised to glorious life to live with him. Now, that analogy of sleep, I think, has a few dimensions to it, because whether you struggle with sleep or don't get much of it, we can all agree that you feel better after sleeping than you did before you went in. We might go to bed feeling exhausted, weighed down with life, things on our mind. We have the phrase like, I'll sleep on it. In other words, I can't quite process that now. I'll come back to it later. We go into death wearied with the world, wearied with the brokenness, but we go in knowing that we will be raised up, energized, refreshed to new life with Christ. With that sentence publicly shown to the world that we have been forgiven. You want proof that God has forgiven me? I'm no longer dead. That is what we, what we will be saying. Now, the truly profound thing is that that resurrection that will be ours in the future, that we will one day be raised from the dead, that has been brought into the present. Nowadays, we can say, I am living the resurrection life. If you believe in Christ, then today you can say, I died with Christ and I have been raised to new life. We can begin to live in anticipation of that day when we will live in a restored world with restored bodies. We can look forward to it. We can say, sin has lost its power over me. I live the new life in Christ. The long and short of it is, if you don't believe in Christ, there is no hope. But if you believe in Christ, the hope is inexpressible. The joys of the future are unbounded. And what's more is the joys of the future have been brought into the present. This is my, my plea for anyone watching and listening who knows Christ. Live the resurrection life now. Look forward to the day when you too will be raised. But this is my plea to anyone listening who doesn't know Christ. He lay in the tomb and all the world thought this one was a sinner. But by rising from the dead, he has proven himself to be the savior, the righteous one. You can trust in him and trust knowing just as he died and was raised, I will be raised from death. I can have that life. I can have that sentence of guilt taken away from me as I know Christ as my savior. That is the blessed hope of Christianity. Christianity without the risen Christ has no answers to the world. But with the risen Christ, we have the answer to the broken world that we live in. As I said at the beginning, we all know it's broken. There is no one who is going to be listening going, actually, I think the world is perfect as it is. We all know there's something broken and Jesus gives us the solution that puts every piece in the right place. 
as we normally say at Easter, Christ died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. How are you going to be found by him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we honor you and we bless you and we worship you that though you were in the grave, the grave could not hold you. It had no right to hold you because you are God's righteous one. And Lord, the hope that we have, the the guarantee that we have been given is that we too will not stay in the grave. We will be raised to life because you were. And Lord, you haven't simply told us, you haven't simply said, oh, by the way, this is going to happen. You have proved it by, by raising Jesus from the dead. And so now, Lord, I pray for anyone watching who doesn't know you, Lord, by your spirit, reveal yourself to them. By your spirit, begin that resurrection life in them. And Lord, for those of us who know you, who love you, who long for the day where we see you again, where we will be raised from the dead, we pray, Lord, by your spirit, teach us to live the resurrection life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.